Welcome to Be Your Own Muse, a podcast presentation of the Spelman College Museum of Fine Art. I'm Floyd Hall. In this episode, Park MacArthur and Jennifer Burris discuss their roles as co-curators of the current exhibition, Beverly Buchanan, Ruins and Rituals, on display from September 14th through December 2nd, 2017. As a production note, we would like to issue a correction to a date mentioned in this conversation. It was inadvertently mentioned that the launch event for the book about Beverly Buchanan took place in 2014. That book launch was in fact in 2015, so we wanted to correct that statement for our listeners. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to Be Your Own Muse, a dialogue presentation of the Spelman College Museum of Fine Art. Uh, This is in conjunction uh, with the exhibition Beverly Buchanan, Ruins and Rituals. Park MacArthur and Jennifer Burris are the co-curators of Beverly Buchanan, Ruins and Rituals, and I'm pleased to have some time with them today. Park, Jennifer, how are you? Great. Nice to meet you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we're so happy to be here. Thank you. Glad to have some time with you all. We are currently in the museum space uh, surrounded by the work of Beverly Buchanan. So uh, I want to get some thoughts from you all. When did you first come across Beverly Buchanan's work? We've been, I guess, following Beverly for five years now. Um, Feels like both shorter and longer in different ways. Um, But we first encountered her work in the archives of the Whitney Museum. They have a library there. Um, I was invited to do a public program, and her work was included in this um, permanent collection exhibition called I, U, We that the museum was mounting. And a photograph was her, of hers of Mary Lou Furcon was in the show. I didn't know a lot of the artists in the show, and so I went to the museum's archives to learn more about not only the particular pieces in that show, but just more about all of the artists' practices in general. I opened the file that they had on Beverly Buchanan's work and saw her early cast concrete sculptures. Um, These were photographs she had taken herself, and she was mailing them to her gallerist at the time in New York. And I just was really overwhelmed in both a calm and very excited way by these photographs and wanted to know more about the sculptures I was looking at, wanted to know more about the artist. Um, We subsequently looked up her work online, saw a really different body of work, um, a long uh, long spanning body of work, and so we thought, wow, how did this artist, is this the same person? And if so, how did this artist get from here to here? And that really led us on a a long path. Um, Simultaneously with this, Park and I had been talking about um, producing a book, publishing a book based on her work as an artist with other artists' letters and kind of the epistolary mode of communication. Um, And initially we thought because of this strong reaction that you had had to these photographs of the Frustula in the Whitney's archive, as well as a few letters that Beverly would write to her then gallerist Jock Truman, in which her voice comes through so strongly in just the back of a postcard. And so 
initially we reached out to her as a way of including these texts in a larger, more compilation um, edition. And more and more that we talked to her, learned about her, I think there was a point, maybe four mm -hmm. or five months later, that Park said, you know, she really deserves her own book. This is an incredible artist. More people need to know about her. More people need to place her work within these art historical traditions that she was obviously deeply contributed to, but isn't as recognized. And at that point, we moved forward and focused the book fully on Beverly and on this early period. Um, kind of moving from the book to the exhibition, we were in New York for a launch. This was three years ago? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 2014. 2014, wow. Yeah. So we were, in, we were in New York City for a launch of the book at Artist Bays and had invited um, some of the contributors as well as the Romare Bearden Foundation Executive Director because he was a strong mentor to Beverly early on when she was in New York and invited as well Howardina Pindell, an artist who had exhibited concurrently with Beverly in the early 80s in New York. And um, kind of there was a strong response to the launch. People wanted to hear more. People wanted to hear what she had done after after this this first period and we spoke to Catherine Morris who's the Sackler Center curator at the Brooklyn Museum for Feminist Art and she said you know this would be a great show think about turning this into a show and and it really went on from there and at the time it was also Beverly we'll talk a little bit more about this later but Beverly was living and so we felt a real sense of excitement and urgency to work on a show that would be a larger survey of her work, connecting multiple bodies of work, and have her um, be part of that process. And also, hope you know, we hope to see the result. Yeah. Of the yeah. Show. Can you give some more context to um, the the show at the Brooklyn Museum and maybe the the overarching. Uh, uh, a year of yes, mm -hmm. and maybe give some more context to to the the moment that the show was uh, presented in context with. Mm -hmm. It was the inaugural show of a year of yes, which was a program that um, prior to our speaking with Catherine, they'd been working on for <clears throat> many months before because it's the tenth year anniversary of the Sackler Center for Feminist Art. Um, is that right, or is it just yeah. the ten year of the Judy it's, Chicago piece. I think it's the 10th anniversary of the, the center. Whole center. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I think Catherine has wanted to do in looking, in, in curating this center within an encyclopedic museum is to say, you know, not only are we looking at, um, at feminine or female identified artists, but we're also thinking about feminist methodologies more broadly, so these might be understanding how the personal is political, how our lived experiences inform aesthetics, things like that. So um, I think in multiple ways, Catherine was interested in Beverly's work and how it might um, create an important opener to um, shows that have subsequently come after um, her survey. And one of these that is up, I think it actually just, just closed, closed last yeah. weekend. Yeah. yeah. Um, was called We Wanted a Revolution, Black wa uh, Radical, and what's the 1965 19 to 1985, I think. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Um, 
which is a group show of, mm-hmm. I think, over 30 or mm-hmm. 20 to 30 artists um, looking at yeah, this period of work, um, mostly in New York and L.A., mm-hmm. of, um, of artists creating many artist-run spaces um, and sort of autonomously or self-identified mm-hmm. um, act work that kind of bridges art and activism. Um, Beverly's work um, is included in that show as well, which we were thrilled about. Mm But I think, yeah, it helps set the tone for some of these um, larger, both um, um, kind of, I don't want to call it like a reform history, but like Mm -hmm. adding to the the depth and the the actual pieces of history that were there that, you know, haven't necessarily been historicized yet. And and I think when we first started speaking to her, as Park was saying about Beverly, um, Catherine had already been working on this exactly. survey show. Um, with Rujiko Hockley. W- yeah, with Rue Hockley, who's now at the Whitney. Who's now at the Whitney, yeah. Um, and, and the survey show was grounded in critiques of second wave feminism. So mm-hmm. the ways in which... Uh, Support mainstream feminist thought or feminist practice in the 70s really excised a lot of communities and was seen as alienating to a lot of a lot of the artists working there at the time. There wasn't, there hadn't yet been this. Um, uh, now I think much more commonplace idea of intersectional um, activism, and so um, a lot of the artists who did critique second wave feminism. I'm thinking of Anna Mendieta, Howardina Pindell, this whole group that was involved. Um, they were shown with Beverly, and Beverly was part of that, but was also um, uh, the, almost the, the least well known of the, that group of that group of women artists. Um, I think something else that Catherine found interesting about Beverly's work within the context of this reappraisal of feminism and what feminist methodology means in a museum is how Beverly herself never identified with that term. Um, she, prior to kind of becoming of uh, embracing life as a professional artist, she was a public health practitioner working in the Bronx in East Orange, New Jersey, and working primarily with women on best practices for breastfeeding and birth control and all of that. And nutrition. And nutrition and, th- you know, a practice you would think is almost obviously feminist. It's a feminist um, activist practice, work practice, health practice. But she for had a real um, resistance to that term. And that, and, that, and that resistance is, I think, something that was really interesting to think about when you're thinking about what this center, um, what the center is doing, who the center serves, what feminist means now at this point in time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this exhibition opened at the Brooklyn Museum in 2016. Mm-hmm. Beverly Buchanan passed away in 2015. Mm-hmm. So I would love for you all to maybe say more about the process of curating um, an exhibition. Uh, when the artist is no longer with us, and maybe what the overlap of time was between having access to her and having her be a part of this process, and then having to maybe take on some more responsibility after she passed away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question, and it's um, you know one that was emotional in many ways, but also um, one that 
that in some ways deepened some of the um, conversational processes and sort of um, research that we had already been a part of. So in addition to speaking with Beverly, who I had met briefly once to just ask some questions about um, her sculpture and, and her practice, um, we had also been in touch with friends of hers, um, former partners, people who had been in her life at different times. And as when we had learned that Beverly passed away, in many ways we um, both continued some of those conversations we had already been having with her friends and community, and um, in other ways those you know conversations took on more urgency because we were really um, going to rely on their accounts of um, not only how they thought about her work but what their relationships were to her. So I guess in many ways some of the um, some of what we very clearly understood early on was that Beverly's relationships were very important to her. She often kept very long um, standing uh, uh, letter and postcard and mailing um, relationships with people. People would, um, for example, the art historian Lucy Lepard, who wrote about um, Beverly's work in a 1980 book called Overlay, um, Contemporary Art and the Art of Prehistory. She had a file on Beverly, which had lots of clippings and postcards that they had sent back and forth. And so in many ways, not only did some of these institutions like the Whitney have archival fol folders um, of Beverly's, but we found that other people, you know, were keeping their own kind of Beverly archives and that, um, you know, these might be in a storage unit or a basement, but part of our work was kind of going out and taking people up on their really generous offer to say, hey, we have all this stuff, we are, you know, huge supporters of Beverly and we would love to share this information with you. Yep. Uh, as Park mentioned previously, we really were hoping, hoping to work on this survey exhibition with her. Um, uh, we knew that she had a number of health problems, and so when we proposed uh, the exhibition to the Brooklyn Museum, we actually proposed to fast track it, to, do, to have it done as quickly as possible with the hope that she would be there. Um, particularly because so often there is, um, it's like this awful cliche of women artists in particular being recognized after their death, and we were hoping precisely not to do that, um, uh, to push against that, and it, it, it didn't happen, unfortunately. We had the exhibition approved before she passed away, so she knew it was gonna happen, but um, she, I think she passed away about a month after it was approved. Um, another, another resource that we really leaned on heavily is uh, Beverly had a massive um, unprocessed archive at her home in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So we went out there and spent about a week going through this full archive, putting together all the notes, all of her own writing, um, all of her photographs, all the letters, and really leaning heavily on her own language and the way she articulated her work 
as a structure and a frame for the exhibition as well as for a lot of the wall labels and the didactic material. Um, one, one thing we came across um, when, when looking through this archive was a kind of a sequence of words that she spelled out a few years before she passed away, which really clearly outline um, the progression of her work in almost this aphoristic language. It's titled Thoughts, Monday, March 22nd, 2010. A house finch, House of Representatives, passes healthcare bill. And this, is, this title is often very indicative of the way she would title everything, that she would put together a current event, a date, something very She's emotional and personal, about. and just kind of wrap it all up together. And this is how she describes the progression of her work from the 70s onwards. Quote, a kind of evolution from basic stone, pieces and concrete, structures to elevated wood, houses, pine, cedar, oak mostly, pine. Now cedar, show photos of concrete. Pieces, ruins and rituals, garden ruins, etc. Root Washington. Centerpieces, piece of Miami. United stones, wood structures, and foam core pieces, especially churches, none made of wood yet. Foundations, abandoned concrete pieces in isolated places in Georgia. And that very, very um, rough sketch is basically how we structured the show. And this is how, in 2010, she was thinking about her own progression, and we just almost followed it to a letter. Now, the title of this exhibition is Ruins and Rituals, and thinking about that word ruin, um, to ruin, um, to destroy, but also a ruin or the ruins, which is what is remained after something is maybe destroyed or decayed, I feel like that's an interesting play on, you know, or use of a word, mm -hmm. both in a, in a verb, you know, in, 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 in an action sense, but also in a noun, and what is done to something, and then what is what is left after. Could you give some, some thought to maybe the, the use of that word mm -hmm. um, in her work based on what you've discovered and thought about over all of this time? Um, it, it was an, it's an incredibly important word for her. Going back again to the writing that we came across in her archive in Ann Arbor, there's a text from June 27, 1977, which is the very first time that she started exhibiting sculptures in a professional setting, and she titles it, Urban Ruins, A Beginning. A delicate strength, strong, fragile, dark light, but not weak. Not weak in the sense of an instant falling apart at the seams. Rather, it is made to eventually crumble. How fast or slow it becomes a ruin is unknown. How long do modern paintings last? And this really pinpoints what she was thinking about when she first decided to leave her career as a public health professional and become a professional artist full-time, which you have her thinking about um, the idea of lasting and permanence, but permanence in a sense that that isn't necessarily meant to be on a wall in a museum and in a history book, the idea that ruins create create a history and a memory in the landscape that is accessible only to people who know where to look or how to look at them, but have just as much meaning. And this, 
approach, this alternative approach to history, I think, is what she was really thinking about going forward in creating her own sculptures in landscapes that she would call ruins. And she, and it's a thorough line in her practice from her experience working in kind of uh, falling apart neighborhoods in New York and seeing the urban ruin landscape to thinking about the ruins that are here in Georgia that are often unmarked. Um, uh, she talked a lot about unmarked graves that were constructed out of tabby along the Sea Islands chain to later on in her life she spent some time in Miami after the hurricanes in Florida and thinking of the ruins that are created via these alternative destructive forces. And I think it's just seeing it as something that is generative and has a power and has a meaning. Yeah, and the title, um, also specifically Ruins and Rituals, is a work of art of Beverly's, um, completed in 79 at the um, Museum of Arts and Sciences in Macon, Georgia. This is her first and um, one of her largest scale public art pieces and um, so in that many she she was very upfront that many of the titles of her sculptures have ruins in them and um, she says you know she wants to emphasize the fact that I'm still here you know I'm, I'm I've survived she also uses the word survivor a lot um, and so I think the kind of underside or the the implied part of ruins is also resistance um, I think that's a really important concept in um, the work, both two-dimensional and three-dimensional, that she's providing us, um, both not only examples of what resistance looks like, but how to resist. Mm -hmm. um, she also outlines a couple of other um, ruins that that were were kind of almost like thinking places for her. She called them a site of a building torn down, site where a building had just been taken down, in a tall grass where a house once stood, but where only the chimney is left. Um, she would talk about how when a house is no longer there or when, um, for example, in New York, she would see a single wall standing, but the rest of the building wasn't there. You'd be able to see parts of how the building worked, the construction, um, the actual um, use of the building. You could see it more clearly even when um, other parts of the building weren't there, but that the ruin was still there. So something, the ruin also tells us a lot about um, the social and community use of a, of a space. Um, the title, as Park mentioned, Ruins and Rituals, um, is the title of a work that she created in Macon, Georgia, on the grounds of the Museum of Arts and Sciences. And it was um, made in 1979, and it was her first large-scale public sculpture. Mm -hmm. um, and so we thought it was a really important uh, work in the context of her own practice. It was very much the first major um, sculpture that she made after moving back to Georgia from spending 10, 15 years in New York. So it's it has a lot to do with her reconciling this new context that she's living in. And we also, the book Park Mention Overlay by Lucy Lepard talks precisely about the sculpture. And it's the one book that, um, that we came across that puts Beverly's land art post-minimalist practice within a larger trajectory of land art. It's the one book 
um, written at that time that recognizes how much she contributed to the development of this, of this discipline, of this movement in art. And in describing ruins and rituals in that book, Lepard writes that this, this sculpture can be seen as an archaeology of the levels of consciousness. Like Beverly's interest in ruins was a, an exploration of consciousness in a way, what, what's visible, what's hidden, what's private, what's, pri what's hidden even to you. And I think the word ruin for her was almost this nexus point between the social and community structures, a landscape, but also something very much about, very personal, very much about the mind and the way you the way memory functions. So I think it almost was a talismanic word in this sense. How should we remember Beverly Buchanan, um, both as a female artist as well as an African-American artist? Can you kind of place her in a context for us? Yeah. That's a great question. Yeah. That's a big, deep question. Let me think about it. Well, for us, at least the starting point, and I think, I think what is so powerful about Beverly's work is that it speaks on so many different levels to so many different communities, and she really, within one sculpture, um, communicates, communicates on, yeah, on countless levels. I'm thinking of her sculpture, The Doctor, Medicine Woman, how it's made out of bottles and uh, someone brought up to us and we hadn't initially made this connection that it was very much tied to bottle trees in the south and this idea of and then her hair is also made of sassafras root and there was all this um, idea that sassafras was a homeopathic tea that could help with diabetes which she had um, and so there's all these like embedded histories and narratives and every single piece and I think a lot of how you remember her is what you bring to it on your own experiences um, on, on, on my pers personal level pr prior to the show I had primarily um, researched land art and post minimalism and for me what initially excited me about the work was these tremendous contributions she had made to post-minimalism and land art and really embedded these political, social histories within what um, initially appears a purely formalist, purely formalist sculpture, an abstract sculpture. And that, that ability to communicate, um, communicate different narratives within what is often seen as this very, um, abstract intellectual um, exercise I thought was compelling and I think it really expands and challenges and makes far more interesting what we think of as land art and post-minimalism. So I think that's one of her countless contributions. Um, but for me that was really exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's, it's easy to look at Beverly's CV and look at how she's a pioneer in a lot of ways. Um, both in medicine and in art, um, and that she's bringing a lot to both of those professions and, and highlighting conversations that desperately need to be had. Um, and so I think there's a part of not only what she did, but I think um, 
as we've been able to spend more time with her work um, and the people who knew her, it's also how she did it. Um, I think we've gotten to see um, a person who has centered um, her friends, family, chosen community um, in her life and in her work. Um, someone who's been uncompromising with the way that she, want her, she wants her work to be in the world um, and has persevered through, um, as she puts it, health and money troubles that came early. Um, how she's always centered her artwork in her life. And um, I think that artwork also helps us understand um, how to think about um, history, memory, our relationships to one another. And I think that as, I think that's one of the real gifts that art can do even beyond the artists themselves is to help us think about the world that we live in, help us extend beyond our own personal experiences, you know, keep them with us, but connect them to others. And um, there's something that I, you know, haven't even fully understood or resolved in my own thinking about her work, but that is just that she, um, she gives us a new, she, not a new, but she gives us a way of, of thinking, gives us a new way of thinking. I think that's like just an amazing thing. Um, mm -hmm. So that's not a, a wrapped up sound mm -hmm. bite for you, but it is, um, it is something that I know is going to keep me coming back to her work for a long time. Because mm -hmm. Park, you, Park is an artist, mm -hmm. um, and you just had a, a, a solo show mm -hmm. in San Francisco, and one of the works was dedicated to Beverly. Mm -hmm. And what, yeah, exactly. So I think, and I think, uh, so I, I primarily work as a curator, and for me, like uh, the the an artist's practice that inspires other artists. I mean, that's that's kind of. Uh, that's the holy grail in a way. Mm -hmm. And after the show at Brooklyn, um, a number of artists have come up and said, you know, that Beverly's way of working really has impacted and shifted their own. Mm -hmm. And I think her influence on successive generations of artists is one of the ways it will be most, mm -hmm. most clearly felt going forward. Jennifer Burris. Yeah. Park MacArthur co-curators of Beverly Buchanan Ruins and Rituals. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you.